Good morning, Harmony. Morning. morning. Try that again. Good morning, Harmony. Good morning. How you guys doing? Yeah. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Luke Gradless, and I have the honor of being one of the pastors here at Harmony Baptist Church, along with Brother Joe Canales. Uh, we're glad you're here this morning. Uh, we are finishing up our series in First Peter today, and uh, before we jump into that, just let me give you two um, announcements. Uh, we, we have two donations that are running on right now. Uh, first off, normally our church every Tuesday, the first Tuesday of the month, goes to the food bank and serves, uh, but they've actually had pretty uh, staffed Tuesday, so we can't get in again until October. So what we're going to be doing over this next uh, month is just doing a food drive. So we have some blue bins sitting right out here in the fellowship hall. And what we're just asking you guys to do is since we can't go out there and physically serve, when you're at the grocery store or Walmart, whatever, just grab a couple extra cans of food, maybe peanut butter, something, protein. That's normally what they're short on. Bring it to church and just fill up these bins. And then when we go back in October to work, we'll go ahead and take all those food donations with us. Uh, second thing that we're doing is we're a little late the game, but school's about to start for some folks, so we're trying to do a last-minute little school supply drive. Uh, so we got some stuff back there, but again, as you're out school shopping, if you see you know pens, paper, glue, all that regular stuff, pick up a few extras and jump them in the blue bins. If you're a member here or just a visitor here and you need assistance with school supplies, uh, please let me know, and we'll work on getting those to you once the the drive is done. All right, everybody got that? Uh, school supplies and food. Awesome. So let's go ahead. We're going to jump into 1 Peter chapter 5. And this is the conclusion of this series. So if you haven't been here, let me kind of set the table for you. What we've been talking about is that suffering really can be a gift. As Americans, we're probably one of the cultures that is the worst set up at suffering. And a lot of that has to do with what we've made a priority in our culture. Our culture pursues comfort, our, pers our culture pursues ease, our, comfort pr our culture pursues enjoyment. And so when your main goals and drivers in life are comfort and ease and enjoyment, when a season of suffering comes upon you, the whole world might as well stop. Because the entire direction you're moving, the whole focus and motive that you have, you now know there's no way you're going to get those things. And so typically when we enter these seasons of suffering, the prayer becomes, if you're the type that prays, is, Lord, let this storm end as fast as possible. God, just please let this go away. And what we want to make sure as Christians is that we actually approach things with a biblical perspective. And with a biblical perspective, what we start to realize is you and I aren't here for comfort, ease, and enjoyment. We are here to be disciples and servants of God. 
We have a mission which is to be used by God to go out into the world and to make disciples and to help people see that you love God and you love people throughout your life. And so sometimes what we're going to realize is, is in seasons of suffering, there's actually a gift. Because God is pulling you into that darkness to be light. God is using you in those moments to actually proclaim the gospel and show people that with the power of Christ in your life, that you can be victorious in any season, both those of good times and those of bad. And so there's three verses we've been going to throughout the series. We call these the keys to the series. And really my hope with the key to the series is that I know you're not going to remember everything about 1 Peter chapter 5. But what I do hope is, after eight, nine weeks of this, that these three verses start to become something that you treasure in your heart. They start to become verses that you've memorized, you've learned, so that when you yourself find yourself in a season of suffering, you can pull these verses out and use them as the sword of the Spirit, as the Word of God, to help you be victorious in those seasons. And so here's the three verses we've been looking at. First is in 2 Timothy 3.12. It says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now this is just one of many verses that has this angle, but the point of it being, you and I should expect to suffer. As Christians, we don't escape suffering. We don't escape hard times. In fact, the Word tells us often we will be persecuted more and we will go through different kinds of trials because of our allegiance to Jesus Christ. And so the mentality I've told you to have is be like a boxer. A boxer is not surprised when they get punched in the face. They expect that to happen. They train for that happen. They learn how to counter that when it happens. A lot of us, we're the type that when we run into a season of suffering, we throw our hands up and are like, what's going on? This isn't supposed to be the way it works. And to be honest, I don't blame the church, or the church uh, members as much as I do the, con or the, the clergy. Turn on the TV this Sunday and listen to a lot of the sermons. We will present it to you like if you're a Christian and you're a good person and you tithe and you go to church, God's just going to bless you overwhelmingly. Your cup's going to overflow. And he will, but spiritually, not worldly. Right? Jesus reminds us several times, you're following in my footsteps. Notice the path I had. It didn't lead to comfort. It didn't lead to earthly wealth. It didn't lead to the smoothest life ever. If that happens to me, what do you think is going to happen to you? And so the first and most important thing for us as Christians is that we expect suffering to come. The second we find in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 11. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And so the point of this verse is not only are we expecting it, but we know that because we have God, we are uniquely equipped to handle it. So I know it's coming, and because I have God to lean on, I know that I am equipped to handle that moment. Now, I've told you before, there's a lot of us, when we go through seasons of suffering, the reason it, it's actually a gift for some of us is it's a moment that forces us to realize, I can't do this on my own. Right? Typically, in bad seasons, that's when people come back to church. Right? And we see that in America all the time. When, it, when the bad things happen nationally, we know that Sunday more people will be at church. Now, part of me loves that there's still people who realize in times of hurt, God can help. But 
But man, I wish people would realize you should not be using God as your last resource. The point of God is not that you try to get everything done on your own and only when you come to your end do you then fall on your knees and go, God, fill in the gaps. That is a failing lifestyle and way to have a relationship with him. What good disciples do is they start with him each and every day. They don't wait to get to the end of their abilities. They start with him going, I know from day one, I know from the first second, I can't do this on my own. I need you, God. I need you every day, every moment, every second, every step of the way. So we expect suffering and we're equipped from suffering by our Lord. Thirdly, we find purpose in suffering. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So not only do we know it's coming, not only do we know we're equipped for it, but what you and I have uniquely is we have a hope in the season of suffering that God's actually going to use that for good. And in fact, if we've been on this journey long enough, I think most of us have enough perspective to realize that the most growth we've experienced, that often some of the times where we have done the most for the Lord have actually been those seasons that in the moment were tough and difficult and hard. It is often in those moments that God is shaping us the most and that he is using us the most to do our work. And so we know it's coming, we're equipped for it, and what we're always looking for is the purpose in the suffering. And so how this changes a Christian's perspective is, is when suffering arrives for us, we should not so much be praying for the season to end, as we should be praying, God, what do you want to teach me? And how do you want to use me in this season? In fact, part of you should be like, I don't want this season of suffering to end until I've learned what you want to teach me, God. I'll be honest, I think some of us, we actually extend our seasons of suffering because we're so thick-headed that instead of opening our eyes and going, God, I'm your student, teach me, I'm ready. We're so resistant to it, he has to keep that season going to be like, hey, idiot, wake up, I'm trying to teach you something here. If you just focus for a few minutes, we could be done here. But because you're not paying attention, I actually got to turn up the heat so that you'll finally see what we're trying to do. And so we expect it, we're equipped for it, and we find purpose in it. And so throughout the series, we've been going through the book of 1 Peter. So flip with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. It's where Peter's closing out the book. And let's go ahead and wrap up what his wisdom is for us. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so throughout this passage, what we've talked about is it's unique, Peter's perspective. Because a lot of the things he's addressed here don't seem uniquely positioned for suffering. Right? He's talked about marriage. He's talked about being a good citizen. He's talked about being holy. He's talked about being in the word. And now we get to the end of this, and he's talking about church structure and elder pastor bishop's role. And you're kind of like, 
This is about suffering. Why, why are we addressing this? And the reason we're addressing this is Peter's point is, guys, in times of suffering, what you often want to do is you want to stop doing those behaviors that you do every single day of your life. You get self-centered. You start having a pity party for yourself. You feel like you're stressed. You're overwhelmed. Too much is going on. And you start skimping on the behavior in your life. And when you do those things, you're actually going to make the suffering worse. The reason that God has asked us to be holy, the reason that God has asked us to have our marriages in a certain way, to raise our kids in a certain way, to be part of a church, is so that we are set up to be impactful both in good times and in bad. And the other thing that I think is so important for you guys to realize here is, I often get this question from folks, like, where in the Bible does it say that I need to be a member of a church? What verse? There's not one verse. It's the entire context of the New Testament. Nowhere throughout the New Testament do you ever see God address Christians except in the context of them belonging to a local body of believers. Everywhere you look, the assumption is, well, of course, you're part of a local body of believers. You're sharing life with people. You're fellowshipping in the Word. You're worshiping together. You're holding each other accountable. That is the only context that you ever see New Testament Christianity addressed in. And so well, there's no one verse that says, Thou shalt be a member of a church. When you look at the entire New Testament, you go, that's the only way he addresses it. That's the only context in which he has it. And to be, to be honest, brothers and sisters, it makes a ton of sense. We've talked about this for a long time, right? What are the two things the church is about? Not a rhetorical question. Love God, love people. That's it. They ask Jesus. They say, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? They think they've stumped him because there's hundreds upon hundreds of commandments. And he goes, love God and love people. And he says, in fact, all of Scripture is based on those two things. Right? And, and we've done this before, right? You look at the Ten Commandments. First four, what are they about? Loving God. Second six, what are they about? Loving people. Right? Go to the prophets who are getting angry at Israel for disobedience. There's only two reasons they're ever in trouble. Either they're not loving God, or take a wild guess on what the other one is. But they're not loving people. Whenever those things don't happen, God addresses his folks and goes, guys, wake up. Well, do you know where you're forced to love people? In a family. Let's be real. This room is not full of perfect people. Right? That should be a big amen. Everyone always play amen. Right? I always tell people, like, if you come to the church and you're like, you know, there are just so many messed up people at church. Yeah! Exactly! It's like walking into a hospital and like, there are some sick people here. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's why they're here. I mean, my wife hates when I use this analogy because she says it's like so just graphic. But like the reality is, this is like a big AA meeting. When you go to an AA meeting, right, what everybody in the room acknowledges is addict. Right? This is an AA meeting for sinners. Like, hi, my name's Luke and I'm a sinner. Right? We are here because we've acknowledged I have an addiction and a draw to sin. And I've tried to beat it on my own and here's what I know. I can't. I need a savior. 
I need him to give me that forgiveness. I need him to give me that love. I need him to fill in my gaps because I can't do this. And you know what else I need? I need you guys. I need other people in my life who care about me, who love me. And when they see me going astray, go, hey, Luke, get back on the path. Get right. You need that accountability in your life. And so what Peter's addressing here is, he goes, look, one of the roles that's set up in the church is the elder. And if you're not familiar with that term, right, elder, pastor, bishop, they're all the same word. It's a distinct role with distinct qualifications that they set up in the early church. And in this, what Peter's saying to those elders is, hey, remember why you do this. Remember what the point is. Elders are to lead in love. Right? Me and Joe are not supposed to lead you guys because we want some power trip. We're not supposed to lead you so that we can have unfair gain or that we can gain wealth or power in the world. We are here to lead you because we love you. We are here to lead you because just as the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, has led us, we believe he's appointed us to help do that for you. And the whole picture of an elder, of a pastor, is that of a shepherd. Right? They carry the rod and they carry the staff. And the purpose of those is one, to defend, but two, to correct. And so we're unique here in our church because we have what we call a membership covenant. And a lot of people don't like it, I'll be honest with you. The reason we do that is, is what we've found in American culture nowadays is you can be part of a church and no one knows you. You can go to church for years. And because you sit in a big dark room like a movie theater and everybody tries to beat the traffic, you don't know anybody's names. And if you don't know anybody's names, guess what you definitely don't know? You definitely don't know what's happening in their life, what direction they're going, or how they're behaving. And so what's fallen completely out of the common just direction of the church is accountability. If you go to a church and somebody wants to come up to you and be like, hey, I, I got to talk to you because I think you're going the wrong way. Nowadays, we're like, who are you to judge? Right? In fact, we see Christians regularly pull out the Bible verses and misuse them of, well, God says not to judge. No, God says don't judge with the wrong measuring stick. God says if I'm going to come and judge you off my own standards, I better be ready for those to be applied to me. But he actually, throughout his passages, tells us that as a church, we have the responsibility to use God's word and God's wisdom to keep each other on the right path. And we don't do that so I can say I'm better than you. We don't do that because I enjoy slapping your wrist. I do that because I love you. And I want you on the right path. It reminds me of raising children. I hate disciplining my kids. I'll be honest, when my dad, when I was a kid, and my dad used to spank me and go, this hurts me more than you. I always thought in my head, liar. <laughs> liar. I, there's no way you're in more pain on this than I am. Do you see my bottom? Uh, you're in more pain? Yeah. I get it now. I, I hate disciplining them. Especially, man, like long day at work, you haven't seen them, you get home, you've been thinking about doing fun stuff with them, right? And then they come at you with disobedience, and you're like, so this is how we're going to spend our hours today. So we're going to spend the next couple hours playing this discipline game. That's fun. That's exactly what I wanted to do today. It's no fun. And you don't want to do it. But if you love them, what do you do? You discipline them. Because you know if you don't, the long-term impacts of that are way worse. 
It's the same thing in the church. I'll be honest with you, the worst part of my job, worst part, is when I see a member going the wrong way. And I'm like, dang it, I'm going to have to talk to them about this. And Nicole will tell you, I'm so good at justifying delaying it. I'm like, oh, it was a busy day, you know. I, mean, I was going to talk to him, and then, you know, I, I had to shake some hands. And before I knew it, ah, they were gone. It was just the wrong time. I wasn't feeling it. You know what the real answer was? I didn't want to have the conversation. And we get uncomfortable with this. That's why at this church what we've done is we have a membership covenant. It has nothing in it but biblical verses. And the reason we ask people to sign it is two reasons. We want to make sure you understand we preach the word here. And the second, we want you to say, I want to be part of this. I want you to hold me accountable. I want you, if you see me going the wrong way, to come stand in that path and go, brother, come back. I want you, when you see me veering off into temptation, to say, sister, we love you, come back. Don't go that way. Because we love you. And so what Peter's addressing here is elders... These aren't your sheep, they're his, that he bought with his blood. If you think you lead them for you, you're wrong. You lead them for him. And your entire motive in leading them is to lead them with sacrificial love. You do what is necessary to protect them. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 28. It says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. You are his children that he has asked me and Joe to watch over. You know what I really like that wording for me is it makes me feel way more responsible to him. I told you before, the first car I ever had, I treated way better than any car after. And the reason was, it wasn't my car. It was my dad's car that I was allowed to drive. So I knew it needed to be in tip-top shape, it needed to be cleaned, it needed to be gassed up, it needed to have the oil changed. I treated that thing special because it wasn't mine, it was his. You go look at my car now, it doesn't look like that anymore. Now, granted, three kids have something to do with that, but the other part is I, I feel like it's mine, so I can treat it that way. I know one day I will stand before the Lord and I will give account for how I've loved you. And that focus stays in our mind. However, there's a second part to it. It talks about your guys' responsibility. Look at what he says here in verse 5. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you, all of you close yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. And so we talk about this a lot in the church. There is no roles that are more valuable than other roles. They're just different. Husbands and wives, equally valuable, different roles. Parents and children, equally valuable, different roles. Elders and members, equally valuable, but different jobs. All of us have different responsibilities, and what God has asked of the members of the church is that if your elders lead in love and in biblical wisdom, follow them. Follow them humbly. And in fact, that humility, it doesn't just extend to them, it extends to everybody in the family. We are to look at each other as you are more important than I am. 
Your life, your needs, your concerns are more important than mine. And for a second, if you just stop, you're like, wait a minute, aren't we talking about suffering? How does any of this have anything to do with suffering? It has everything to do with it. In times of suffering, your natural default is to be selfish. And what Peter is reminding the church is in those moments, you still need to follow your elders. And you still need to be thinking of the needs of others more than your own. And do you know what happens when in times of suffering where you want to be self-absorbed, you're part of a mission? You have somebody guiding you and leading you towards something? And besides that, you also are aware of everybody else's pains and hurts? Do you know what just naturally starts to happen to your own suffering? It gets smaller. It gets smaller and smaller and smaller. I can't tell you how many Wednesdays, right, I come to church and I'm just on fire for something that's happened at work. And I'm like, what a terrible day. We had dumb decisions made everywhere. This is the worst. And then I get here and I run into people with real issues and I go, Luke, you idiot. You really act like that's a big deal? That was your, your big suffering with some meeting didn't go your way? Some project you're working on didn't, didn't get launched. That's what you're going to complain about today? So often the family makes me realize those things are small. There are much bigger things that we should be focused on, that we should be pouring our energy towards, that we should be living for. And so that's why Peter's addressing that here. He's saying, just like I've encouraged you, don't let go of anything else, you hold on to your church family in these moments. They're the ones that will help you get through. You need each other. And that's why this humility is so big. In America, we have raised a generation and we've taught them you can do it all on your own. We are the Lone Ranger mentality. Right, and I get it too. Like I grew up with the Westerns, right? I love watching those Westerns and it's, it's never a posse of heroes, right? Very rarely. Normally it's the lone guy rides into town with the white hat and he by himself is going to defeat the bad guys. He's got it all on his own. It's John Wayne in it, right? The Bible's kind of like, that doesn't work. Because you ain't John Wayne. You need each other. You can't roll in by yourself and handle it. Satan will wipe the floor with you. You need assistance. You need others. And that's why humility is so important. The moment we look in that mirror and we go, you know what? I think I got this. I got this. We got a problem. We never have it. Our hope is God has it. That's where we've got to be focused. Look at what he says here in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I'll be honest, this is why I love following Jesus. He is that leader who has always done more than he asks of you. Always. Right? God doesn't look at you and be, go, be humble, and then he's not that way. He's like, you want to know what humility looks like? It looks like Jesus. 
It looks like knowing that you are God yourself, that you are perfect, that you're flawless, that you deserve to have everything you've ever wanted. And instead you go, I will empty all of it. I will become a man of sorrows. I will die a brutal death for these people who I love. Because they are more important than me. That's the footsteps we follow in. And that perspective is what gets you through moments of suffering. Not being consumed with yourself, but being completely focused on the others around you. That's what we gotta look for. Third thing, be on watch for your enemy, the devil. This sounds logical, but this goes back to the, the first part, right? Christians, just don't ever think that, like, you have a day off. You have an enemy with unlimited energy and time upon his hands, and he has played this game for way longer than you have. He has seen millions, if not billions, of people like you. What we like to try to tell ourselves is there's days we can put the armor on and there's days that we can lay it aside. And God's point is, you guys stink at judging those days. You need to be on guard each and every day of your life. That's not to say that we don't find joy. That's what I'm telling you. Like We find joy in suffering. We find joy in everything. But what we realize is, is I don't take days off because I have a mission. I have a purpose. I have a goal in my life, and I am moving towards it. You know, I realized as an athlete a long time ago in high school was that the great athletes, they worked harder in the off-season than they did in-season. Right? Like everybody else, right, season would end, and you'd be like, oh, thank goodness. Right? And you take, you take time off. You're like, I'm not going to touch a basketball for months. You know, I'm just going to rest. Right? Like, the great ones are like, no, now I can really start practicing. They do more weightlifting, more running, more basketball, more work in off-season. Why? Because that's when they get better. While everybody else is getting lazy, while everybody else is getting fat, they're getting sharper and more prepared. And so, Christians, what I encourage you guys, you have a mission. Even if you're not in a season of suffering right now, do you know what you should be doing? You should be preparing for the next one. You should be like, I'm going to be in the Word. I'm going to be in the presence of God. I'm going to be self-disciplined. I'm going to fill myself with power. And man, when they come knocking again, they better be ready. They better be ready, because I ain't cowering this time. When they come this time, I'm going to stand my ground and I'm going to like bring it. I got this. God is at my back and we aren't giving you anything. That's the mentality that we should have. Instead, some of us, we keep, keep looking to retreat. Like, I'll be honest, like, one of the modern things I hate about the church is that we have so many retreats. And I'm like, when did you advance? All I ever see is doing is sitting in pews and now we need to retreat from that? Like, retreating is after you've been at war, after you've pushed the ground, after you've fought, after you've bled, after you've advanced. Then after you're exhausted, you go, let's take a break, let's retreat. We sit around, read the Bible for a few years, like, you know what? Need a break. Because all that sitting's been pretty hard. No, get out there. Do stuff that would actually require you to rest. I got a microphone so I can go off on a little tangent here. Let me just be real with you guys for a second. 
I am so glad that summer's over. Do you know why? This place in the summer is like at 40% capacity. And here's what I know. I know we all don't have money to be vacationing every week. <laughs> so when I hear, well, it's summertime, you know, people got vacation. Nobody has three months of vacations. <laughs> Otherwise, we got to talk about your tithing, because I see the tithing coming in. If you guys can pay for three months of vacation, we need to talk. <laughs> Second, you know what else I love? I love when people give me excuses for church that would never fit anywhere else. Ah, I'd love to be at Sunday school, but I just can't be up at 9 a.m. What time does your job start? You've got kids. What time does their school start? Oh, so let's get this right. So Monday, when the principal asks you to be somewhere, you can be there at 7.30. But on Sunday... When we're going to do Bible study, it's like, oh, well, nine is just pushing it. It's just really hard to get the kids out of the house. Funny that you can solve that problem five out of seven days of the week, but not on this one. Right? Just like when you get home from work and you're really tired and really exhausted and you're like, man, I'm so sleepy. But you know what? I'm just going to watch three hours of Netflix. But if I were to ask you, hey, crack open the Bible and read a chapter, I'm just so exhausted. Tomorrow. Right? You find time for Instagram. You find time for Facebook. You find time for Netflix. Right? You find time for all those things. But then when it comes to God's work, you're like, mm, back burner. And look, you don't have to be accountable to me on that. You're accountable to him on that. He watches that. He sees that. He knows what a real priority is. It's not what you say it is. It's what you do. You have an enemy who wakes up every day passionate to bring you down. What are you doing to make sure that doesn't happen? Are you approaching it with the same ferocity that he is? If not, you will feel these seasons of suffering more than others. Because he will wipe the floor with you. Look what it says in John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He comes to kill and destroy. Do you know what I hate about that? I see so many of us inviting that lying murderer into our lives. I see so many of us who through entertainment, through friendships, through the way that we spend our time, going, please, come hang out with me. And it's like, why would you ever bring him in? He's only got one focus. And it isn't to fill your life up. It isn't to bless you. It isn't to watch you be in the best place. It's to take you down. And you're inviting him in. is telling his people be together be in love with one another and stand your ground with your eyes open to everything that's around you don't lose sight of that brothers and sisters the option that you and I have is we have that choice that's right up there on that board what do we want do we want death and destruction or do we want the abundant life and what I want you to see is that abundant life, it can, it can appear to you at any time. 
I don't care if you're broke. I don't care if you have cancer. I don't care if you have bad relationships. I don't care what suffering the world is throwing your way. God offers you abundance in it. Amen. Abundance of love, knowing that you're worth something. Abundance of joy to know that no matter how dark it gets here, there's a light at the end. Knowing that no matter how many people may tell you you're worth nothing here, God looks at you and goes, you're a one-of-a-kind masterpiece. You're my child that I shaped, that I built, and that I have a purpose for that no one else could ever fulfill. Do you know how special you are to God? It says in Revelation that Jesus has a white stone for each of us. And on that stone is written a name, a name that he has given to you. And the only people who will ever know it are you and him. That's the kind of personal intimacy he has with you. You are like no one else to him. And he is sitting there going, will you follow me? Will you love me? Will you walk with me? And so many of us go, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. Brothers and sisters, for some of us, suffering is the greatest gift ever. Because it will be a season of suffering when we fall upon our knees and we are pressed to the ground that we will finally realize, I need a Savior. And in that moment where we are broken like we've never been broken before, we will realize there is a Savior waiting right there for you to love you and to pick you back up. And so brothers and sisters, I encourage you, change the way you think. You're a people of passion and purpose. You're a people that have a mission. And that mission is to be accomplished whether we are in the green pastures or whether we are in the valley of the shadow of death. We are a powerful people that even in times of suffering sing rejoices to our Lord who fills us with his love and his peace. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you that he loved us so much that he came to this earth, that he lived and walked with us, Lord, and that ultimately he died upon a cross to pay for the debt of our sins. Father, not only have you forgiven us, but through his sacrifice, you have covered us with righteousness, meaning that we get to be your children. Father, I pray that this family will stay strong and united together, that we will be accountable to each other, that when we see a brother or a sister veer off course, we will pull them back because we love them. I pray, Lord, that there will be a spirit of humility at the harmony, a spirit where we realize the most important thing is not ourselves, but the people sitting next to us. Father, I pray that you will use the seasons of suffering that we will go through to shape us and to pull us closer to you. Father, we love you and we trust you in good times and in bad. And in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Brother James is at the back. I'll be up at the front. As Maria is singing, if there's anything on your heart that you'd like to pray about, and you want to know that somebody else is praying with you, feel free to come forward and pray with us. As always, if you don't feel comfortable walking the aisle at this time, you seek us out after. We're here for you. We want to love you, and we want to pray for you as you go through different journeys in life. Maria?
pleasant surprise for you because after what nine weeks of suffering sermons we are bringing brother Raymond in next week and if you haven't been here brother Raymond was the interim pastor before I was here and he's this like little old guy that don't tell him this but he reminds me of Barney Five <laughs> but the boy brings more energy than you've ever seen in your entire life I mean, he's literally like bouncing because he has so much joy and energy that comes from the Lord. So uh, I was talking to him, he's like, man, you've probably just bummed these people out with the suffering series. I'm going to come in and elevate that spirit. And I said, Brother Raymond, that sounds fantastic. So he will be here next week, um, and he will be preaching to us. And so I, I hope you're here. Uh, he always brings just, just so much love with him, and we're so glad that he's been part of our family. I'm going to encourage you a couple things. One, remember. You've been given a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline by the Almighty God, and He has given you a mission. And that's to go outside those doors and go make disciples that love God, love people, and follow Jesus. So get to it. I love you guys. Have a great week, and I will see you next Sunday. Now I'm conscious about it. I'm like, it feels, it feels awkward. It feels awkward now. I'm like, do I really like it? I was blind, now I'm seeing I I was dead, now I'm waiting forever. I I had failed, but you were my redeemer. I've been blessed beyond all measure. I was lost, now I'm found.
by the Father. I've been changed from a wounded treasure. I've been given a hope and a future.
Here, come 